Well, good morning, Dallas Bible Church. It is great to be back with you guys again one more time today after a few weeks away, uh, even if it is online. I think we've been going for about six months in a row right now. Good news is we do have a date for you in the very near future. So mark your calendar, September the 13th, which is the first Sunday immediately after Labor Day. We are planning to gather again here in the sanctuary. And so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I do have a favor to ask of you as we prepare for this day on September 13th. Please, uh, would you take a moment and go online to dallasbible.org backslash uh, connect. And will you please fill out the survey that's there online so that we can understand a little bit about uh, how you and your family are planning things, how you've been impacted recently. And again, it's going to help us plan a little bit better that day, how we can uh, prepare for kids that are going to be here and things of that nature. So again, dallasbible.org backslash connect, helping us regather for September the 13th. I can't wait to be there. I hope you, you've heard me say that like a thousand times over. I miss you guys like crazy. And it is so much better to preach to real faces here rather than an empty camera here. But uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to that. But if you have your Bibles, let's please go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be focusing on verses 7 through 12. Uh, if you caught up with us last week, we are starting a brand new series uh, going through the book of Romans, which I'm personally very excited about, uh, not only because this is the book that has been uh, so critical in my spiritual development. This is the book that God used to radically change my life as a sophomore uh, in high school, but uh, many of us have been praying for that kind of breakthrough. We've been praying for revival to take place not only nationally, but locally here in our church body and even on a personal level. And Romans is one of these books that God has used throughout the centuries to do exactly that. Uh, we talked about it last week, but uh, Martin Luther actually credits the book of Romans for launching the Protestant Reforma Reformation. All right, that's pretty uh, high accolades right there. But he says, this is the book that God used to launch the Protestant Reformation. And so if you remember from last week, we talked about this, how Martin Luther actually used to hate God uh, as a very religious monk, but he hated God and the concept of the righteousness of God because it required him to do something that he was not able to do. And it required him to be something he was not able to be, even as a monk that was fully dedicated to religious things. And so he says that he hated God for the longest, uh, for, for years on end, until he finally sat down and he opened up the book of Romans. And there in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he came to understand that this righteousness of God, which was required of him, was also a righteousness which is gifted to him when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And so he, so he says this, he says, with that, with that understanding in Romans 1, 17, my eyes were opened up, he says, and I wasn't able to be quiet about the discovery because I knew this would become the doctrine that would set the church free. And church, it's exactly what's happened throughout history, right? Like we worship today as a result of what God was doing in Martin Luther as he studied the book of Romans. And we know throughout, throughout, throughout history, like it's not just Luther, right? It was Augustine long before him, St. Augustine. Uh, it, was, it was John Calvin. It was Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley and Frederick Douglass. And even this past week, I was talking with Zane Parsley, our children slash adult discipleship minister now. Um, he was saying that this is the book that God used to grab a hold of his affections too. But the point of the matter, church, is like there is power in the book of Romans. And my hope for us this year as we dive into God's word together here in this letter is that God would meet you and that, that, he, would, that he would open up your eyes to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? right? And, and that he would bring about the breakthrough that so many of us are desperate 
to see. And so again, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to be again. Again, 7 through 12 is going to be our emphasis. I am going to go back a little bit to what we talked about last week, but uh, if you're not familiar with the book at all, I, I keep saying book, and again, I, I need to get that out of our language a little bit because we talk about books of the Bible. This is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. We'll talk about his story uh, in the weeks ahead. But this is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome somewhere around 57 AD. And uh, to get a better picture of this, it was actually read out loud by a woman named Phoebe, who was a deacon in the church. And so um, as, you, as you hear this, this is one of the reasons we're going to have female Bible readers from here on out, because like, that's how the church would have received it at that time. She was a, a leader and a deacon in the church, and she would have read this letter from the Apostle Paul out loud to the church that was there in Rome. And so Paul writes this letter to this church really to address a lot of the difficulties that they were going through in the first century as this diverse community of believers is trying to figure out how do we do life together when we are so different. It's a church that's comprised of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, which are pretty much everybody who's not a Jew. Uh, but what's taken place is that the Jews were, were, were kicked out of Rome for about five years. And we read about that in Acts chapter 18. After about five years, they're brought back in. And so as the church begins, Jews are, Jewish believers are the ones that are leading the church. They all exit. Five years later, they come back in. Gentiles are now leading the church, and they're trying to figure out, okay, this is a very different culture than what we have been used to. And so if you thought that having unity today in a diverse culture with, uh, uh, with the political fights that are going on today across socioeconomic divides, be it across personality divides, maybe even racial divides that are still taking place today, like if you thought that was really, really difficult, church, I'm telling you, like it was nothing compared to what was taking place in the first century. And so this morning, again, all I want to do is I want us to jump into this, this passage. We're going to stick to the intro right here, and we're going to do that for two more weeks. What I want you to notice in the intro here is the second purpose statement that he makes, because what he's going to talk about is something that every single one of us need right now that is very difficult for us to grab hold of. And so uh, pick it up with me in verse one, as we look back at real briefly what we talked about last week. But here's what he says, again, beginning in verse one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, a doulos or a, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, meaning one who's been sent out by God, and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, why was he set apart? He's going to lead into this. He needs to say, uh, why was he given grace, and why was he called to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ? Verse 5, here it is. To bring about the obedience of faith. That is his mission, to bring about the obedience of faith. And here's the vision. For the sake of Jesus' name all around the world among the nations or among the Gentiles, which is everybody who's not Jews. That's what he's talking about right, right here. But my mission, he says, is to bring about the obedience of faith right, for the sake of his name among the nations. And so that's what we talked about last week. Church, what is the new obedience that he is calling you into in this season of your life? What are the new yeses that he is calling you into right now? As we talked about that last week, I was immediately reminded of uh, the beginning of our marriage. Kat and I, we went to the exact same marriage conference for probably four years in a row. And it was an exceptional marriage conference, but we kept going back year after year after year because what we discovered was we were at different stages of life and we were at different levels of readiness to receive what God may be doing at that time. And so we came back year after year after year and we had new obedience that God was bringing to our attention every single time we went. And that's what we're talking about right here. Church, what is the new obedience he's calling us into? Father, I, I know where I am today. I know about the different victories we've had in the past. I know about the different failures. But God, what are you calling me to walk into today? What is the new yes that you're calling me into today? God, do you want to blow my mind? And do you 
want to op- open my, my eyes to matters of justice or race that we're talking about today. God, if that's what you want to do, Lord, I'm in. Whatever the new obedience is that you're calling me into, Father, I'm in. You, you want me to be reconciled with someone that I haven't been reconciled with ever before. Father, I am into that new obedience. You want me to go and to share the gospel and to go for the very first time in my life and to make disciples of my neighbors or my friends or my family members or of all the nations, whatever that new obedience may be, Father, the answer is yes. Why? For the sake of his name all around the world. And so that's what we talked about last week, and we're going to pick it up here in verse 7. Here's what he says beginning in verse 7. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very typical greeting right there. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. May that be said of us that our faith at Dallas Bible Church is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, and here's why, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift in order to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So again, if you're a note taker, maybe you've got your scripture journal, you picked it up here uh, this past week, I want you to highlight or circle two different key phrases in those last two verses. The first one is mutually encouraged in verse 12, and then the other one is to strengthen you in verse 11. So two different colors or whatever you want to do to strengthen you and to be mutually encouraged. Why does Paul want to visit the church in Rome? In order to strengthen them that they're not going to stay weak, that they're not going to be infants in the faith, that they're going to grow into maturity, that they're going to actually be stronger tomorrow than they are today. What's the point of their fellowship? Why does he want to see them in person, right? right? It, it, that they be, each be strengthened by one another's faith, mutually encouraged by the other's faith. And so when we're talking about obedience, church, you've got to understand, like, it's not just obedience for the sake of obedience. That would be pharisaical, illegalistic type of religious practice. We're talking about obedience, which produces strength strength and leads to the fame of Jesus's name. Like that's what he wants to do, to help you be strong. And so maybe you happen to be one of the parents this past week and your kids started up virtual school and you're kind of lost and you're going, okay, I've got to stay home and we've got to do virtual school. I've still got another job. Uh, Dad's home, mom's home, the kids are home. We don't have the space. I don't really know what I'm doing. And you're crying out before God and you're saying, Father, I need strength in this season that we're in. I need you to come and do something to fortify my soul inside of me because I'm totally lost. I have no idea what's going on. God, would you give me strength? Church, the good news is if that's who you are, then this letter is for you. It's exactly what he's talking about. He wants you to become strong. He wants you to rise up and have the strength that you're so desperate to have. If you're a teacher or you're an administrator, right, and you've been working overtime for weeks on end trying to prepare for all the different variables of this year, meanwhile, stressed out parents are lashing into you, saying that you've ruined their kids' lives, you've ruined their lives and stuff like that. Like, and you're desperate before God, and you're saying, God, I need strength to continue today in a healthy manner for our kids and in a healthy manner for my family. But God, I need you to come in and strengthen me. Then this is the letter for you. Paul's speaking directly to you, and he's saying, I want you to be strong. I want you to rise up and have a courage and conviction and strength that you can stand on in the season that you're in so that you won't be crippled by the weakness that you're feeling right now. Maybe you're a student and you're saying, uh, Father, I'm, I'm walking into a brand new year. God, would you give me the strength that I need to keep walking with you no matter what my friends are doing? Like, you're who he's speaking to. He wants you to have that strength. 
And maybe you're saying, Father, I, I, I need strength in order to provide for my family or to provide for myself in a season of, of economic collapse. Or, Father, I need strength in order to hold on to my faith in the middle of all these doubts, in the middle of all this opposition that I'm in. Father, I need strength in order to love certain people better who are really, really difficult to love. God, I need this strength in order to go and be reconciled or to say yes to this new obedience that you're calling me into in this season. Father, I need strength in order to keep standing against injustice, right? When everyone around me is tired at the conversation and doesn't want to keep standing against injustice. Father, I need that strength to go and to do the thing that you've called me to do. Church, like that's what he's talking about right here. If that's you, he's speaking directly to you and he's saying, I want you to be strong. It's the whole point of his visit. It's the whole point of, the, uh, of Paul's letter to the Romans right here. It's the obedience of faith which produces strength and leads to the fame of his name all around the world. I love the way Philip Brooks talks about this, but he says this. He says, church, like, don't pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Don't pray for tasks that are equal to your powers. Pray for a power that's equal to your tasks. Then the product of your work won't be the miracle, but your strength to do it will be the miracle. And every single day, you'll begin to wonder at the richness of life, which has come to you by the grace of God. And what Paul's saying to us right here in this letter is like, I want that for you, church. Like, I want, I want that for me too, but I want that for you. And he's going to define it for us a little bit further in chapter 14 and 15. But he's going to talk about those who are weak in the faith in chapter 14 and those who are strong in the faith in chapter 15. But he says of those who are weak in the faith, he says, these are going to be believers who quarrel over opinions, over Old Testament matters of the law, maybe Jewish believers, probably most likely, who are trying to figure out, okay, what do we do with the Old Testament law? But he's saying these are people that quarrel over those opinions. They're holding tight to these things. They're talking about, okay, what food can we eat? What's clean? What's not clean? Which Old Testament? laws that we need to keep applying today. In other words, like these are people, these are believers today that are clinging to outward expressions of faith for a sense of righteousness, which we know in the new covenant that Jesus has already satisfied totally and completely in his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. Like those are the weak believers, people who are clinging to external expressions of faith for a sense of righteousness. Chapter 15, he's going to come along and he's going to talk about strong believers. And he's going to say, these are going to be believers who understand the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ, which here it is. Here, understand this. We're not talking about a freedom from obedience, and we're not talking about a freedom from morality. When we talk about freedom in Christ, we're not talking about a freedom from obedience or freedom from morality. We're talking about a freedom from the condemnation of the Old Testament law, a condemnation of the law. Paul's going to talk about that in chapter 8, my favorite verse to come back to over and over again. But he says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so what he's saying right here is if you're a strong believer, if you've developed strength and maturity in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you understand the freedom that you have from the condemnation in Jesus Christ. However, that freedom doesn't lead you to become arrogant. That freedom leads you to not be judgmental or harsh with people who don't understand the same things that you do. He says it in chapter 15, verse 1. He says, the strong bear with the failings of the weak. In other words, these are people who are totally and completely secure in who they are. Like they're not threatened by disagreement in the church. They're not thrown by political conversations and the fact that, hey, this person over here doesn't exactly agree with my political convictions or anything like that. Like they're not threatened by insults. Why? Because they know who they are in Jesus Christ and they know, uh, uh, they know totally and completely like this is what I believe about God. 
Like, in fact, they're so secure, uh, he says in chapter 15, he says that they're willing to restrict the freedom that has been given to them at different times for the sake of other people. In other words, like we may be at a fellowship, we may be at a dinner or something, and you may have a really legitimate problem with my decision to legally and responsibly have a drink with my dinner time. And if it actually, actually leads you into stumbling or into sin, then the mature believer is going to look at that and be like, if that's really a stumbling block for you, then fine, I will withhold my freedom for the sake of your conscience. Or it's the, it's the person who's, uh, or you're sitting here kind of going, okay, you want me to wear a mask when I have the right not to wear a mask or anything like that. It is my legal right not to wear a mask, yet for your sake, it may be good for you to do that. Fine, I'm willing to do that. A strong person is to say, you know what, I have the right to do something. I have the freedom to do something, yet I'm going to choose not to do it for your sake as well. He, and, and, and Paul's going to just simply say, like, that's a mark of strength and maturity. Hebrews is going to go on and say that the strong and the mature person are people who are not dull of hearing. In other words, these are people who actively listen and they embrace a lifestyle of repentance, right? Repentance isn't difficult for them because every single day they realize like my relationship began with the Lord Jesus Christ when I came to him recognizing that he alone is Lord and that I need to repent of my sin, lay it before him. He forgives me, makes me clean, and I walk with him for all of eternity. We realize that life begins on my knees. I don't have a problem repenting of things in the past. I can look at my past. I can be honest about my past because I'm not living in cancel culture. That's not a real thing. I'm living in grace culture. I understand that what God has done for me in Jesus Christ is totally, it has set me free. It has washed me clean. Like you can look back at the past and you can be honest about the past because my hope as a believer has never been in my ability to get it right. And so we're honest about it. And we're not dull of hearing, and we actively listen, and we've embraced a lifestyle of repentance. And what he's saying is, like, that's a mark of a strong believer. That's strength right there. He continues, and he says that strong believers are people who care much more about the application of God's word than the parsing of the language or the arguing about some of the details. And I hope you understand that the the knowledge and the understanding of God's word is the precursor to application. However, the, the, the mature believer is saying, hey, I want to spend time and, and an effort figuring out how do I go and apply what I've just learned here through the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes on and he says, they feed on meat more than milk. In other words, like they do Bible study rather than a quiet time through Instagram and a nice inspirational quote. They, they get into the word of God. They come to understand it in the heart of God as well. I love this last one. It talks about how uh, mature believers, they graduate from being perpetual students of the word and they become teachers of it. In other words, they understand that God has called them to go and to make disciples that they have a ministry too. And so they move out from the classroom setting and simply being a perpetual student all the days of their life. And they realize, you know what? God has something for me to walk into right now. And I'm gonna go and I'm gonna look to my right or to my left in my own home, my neighbors, my friends, my family, somewhere in the church body. And I'm gonna realize that there is an outlet somewhere Somewhere that God is calling me into so that I can reproduce my faith and be a teacher of God's word instead of a, just a perpetual student. Psalms is going to say that the strong person is like a fruitful tree, right? That, is, that it has strong roots because it's grounded by streams of living water. Church, and what Paul is saying for us right here, I hope you're getting the vision because what Paul is saying is that I want that for you. I want you to grow into strength that we would not be infants in our faith, that we wouldn't be children anymore, that you'd actually grow up and move out of your parents' home, all right, that you would take responsibility, that you grow strong in the truth of God's word. I want you to be strong. I want you to be fruitful and unshaken. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want that too. Like That's what he's saying. It's it's not just about, "I, I want that for you. Like I want that too. And so he says, we need one another. 
We need one another. And what I want you to see, church, right here is that strength is found in the context of this life-giving community. It's what Paul is showing us right here. Strength is found not in isolation. Strength is found in the context of life-giving community in which I take the responsibility to be intentional in engaging such a community. It's why he says what he does. Verse 11, I long to see you in order to strengthen you. And then he clarifies what he means by this. He says, I want to strengthen you that we may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. In other words, it's not just you who need me, the great Paul the Apostle, right? The greatest missionary the world's ever seen, and probably the greatest preacher too. Like, it's not you who need me. Like, I actually need you too. I need your wisdom, he's telling him. I don't even know you people. I've never seen you or met you before, but he's saying, I need your wisdom. I need your courage. I need your strength. I need your, I need your encouragement, I need your spiritual gifts in me. I need your knowledge. I need your understanding. I need your life experiences. It's what he talks about in chapter 12 of Romans when he says, each of us are like different members of the exact same body, unique in every single way, but each of us are essential for the flourishing of the entire body. Church, like that's what it takes to be strong. It takes an intentional, life-giving community and your engagement in such a community. It's why we talk about one of our highest core values around here is, is, is that we want to be a church that's about intentional relationships, not passive familiarity. And the reason we use such conflicting language right there and to set it up in this contrast is because we know we were not made for isolation. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we were made in the image of a triune relational God. And so we were made in the context of, we were made for community and to be with one another. At the exact same time, we also know that there is a preferred way of doing relationships today whereby people may know your name and not actually know you. There was an article that came out a little while ago uh, titled, This Facebook Making Us Lonely. And, um, and it was a fascinating article, but it talked about how most of us are more connected now than we've ever been before. But the irony is that most of us, the irony is that there's more loneliness and depression than in any other time in our nation's history. You want to know why? The, the, the premise is that more and more, we are people that are settling for quantity of connections more so than quality of relationships. I'm going to say that again. We are settling for quantity of connections more so than quality of relationships. A few years back, I had a chance to sit with Gene Getz, who was a, a hero in the faith. He was an old um, seminary professor at Dallas Seminary a long time ago. He was a local pastor here. Um, he's a church planter and author of a study Bible, great scholar. Uh, one of the things I did not know about Gene Getz was that he was one of the pioneers in the small group method, uh, small group discipleship model that you see in the church today. So I don't know if you grew up in the church or not, but maybe if you grew up in the church a long time ago, uh, the preferred method or model of discipleship was largely the Sunday school class. That was the classroom setting. You'd come in, listen to a gifted teacher. They would teach you all about the Word of God. You'd take a lot of notes. Maybe you go home. Maybe you apply something. Maybe you don't. But it's basically knowledge-based classroom kind of transformation right there. And, uh, and so Gene comes in, and he realizes a difference going on, and he says they transition to this small group, this small group model. I remember sitting with him one night, and I remember asking him, I was like, okay, what were you seeing culturally take place? Why would you decide to move a model which has been tried and true and loved for such a long time? Why would you make such a change? I remember he looked at me, and he goes, Aaron, it's simple. He's like, spiritual maturity requires you be in life-giving relationship. Spiritual maturity requires that you be in life-giving relationship. It does not happen in a classroom, he talked about. People have to be taught, and they have to be known. 
Uh, Brian Lortz talks about the five levels of a pyramid of communication, but he describes it like this. He says, uh, people need to be known by getting the levels four and five. And so he talks about these five different levels right here. And each level takes you to a new depth of communication and a new depth and quality of relationship. But he says this, um, this actually comes from Tim Uhoff, who was with Biola University, but uh, Brian Lortz talked about it like this. He says, the first level is cliche. And this is the level of communication where you run into somebody and you say, hey man, how's it going? And they're like, oh man, I'm so blessed. It's wonderful. It's awesome. Life is great. And it's not really true. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But uh, truth isn't really the matter at that point in time. It's just cliche. I'm so blessed, wonderful. And and so that's the level. It's It's the most shallow level of communication that we engage in. The second level is facts. And so that's when you come in and you engage with somebody and you say, hey man, who won the game yesterday? Oh, Mavs won again. Oh, good, okay. All right, and those are, it's, just, it's just an exchange of factual information. The third level right there is opinion. So what did you think about the game last night? Man, it was great. Dirk played awesome, or, you know, actually Dirk's retired now, so he didn't play at all, right? <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, you're kind of thinking about it. You're going, okay, like, what did you think about it? And what he says is he goes, you know what? Most men, we hang out in levels one through three, cliche, facts, and opinion. But he says you want to get to any kind of uh, depth of relationship, anything that's going to bring about real change, reconciliation, or intimacy in a relationship, you need to press through levels one, two, and three and get to four and five. Level number four he defines as this. He calls this the emotive level. And this is the question that says, hey, man, so how did the game make you feel? How did you feel about what took place? Looking at the news, like how does that make you feel um, that there's all these riots going on in the street? How did that sermon make you feel? How did this Bible study make you feel? Like that conflict you're telling me about with your spouse, how did that actually make you feel? The fifth level that he talks about is transparency. And transparency is when you get honest about who you really are in light of the events or whatever it is that you may be talking about. And so who are you now in light of that game? Who are you now in light of that conversation that you had, that difficulty you may have had with your spouse or the economic collapse or the rioting that's taking place over here or your wandering son or your wandering spouse or whatever it may be? Who are you now in light of this thing? Honestly, totally and completely, what are you right now? And what he says here is that intimacy does not take place unless you get to number four and number five. Change does not take place unless you're willing to get to level four and level five. Reconciliation in broken relationships will not take place until you get to level four and level five. But what he says here is this, normalcy demands that you hang out in levels one through three. And so I want you to think about what that means right here when it comes to becoming strong and the the man or woman that God is calling you to be. Like, think about how it plays out on a typical Sunday morning. Like, you wake up, you may or may not come to church, you slip in the back, maybe. Uh, You might engage in some conversation around the coffee bar or something like that. How you doing? I'm so blessed. Wonderful things are taking place. Maybe you step into an adult Bible fellowship, you take furious notes, all right? You've written down all this great information. And all the while, like, your entire world is being blown up inside. Your marriage is destroyed. Your kids are wandering. Your, your, your faith is barely hanging on, and no one knows the difference. Church, I'm telling you, like, this kind of thing takes place all the time in church circles because there is a way that you and I can do relationships whereby people know your name, and they don't actually know you. And what Paul's saying right here, church, is like, it was never our design. We were made for one another. 
It was never our design. Like we were, we were never made for isolation. We were made to be in this life-giving relationship, this, this life-giving community. We were made to be intentional with one another. And so very honestly, he just simply says, hey, like I need you too. It's not just me coming to you and you feeding on knowledge and stuff like that. Like, I need you too, the great apostle Paul, the great missionary, right? I need you too. It's not just me strengthening you, but when we get together, I hope that we would be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And the word that he uses there for encouragement is this word which brings to mind simply two things, both challenge and cheer. And I'm going to put it like that, but, but when we think of encouragement, we typically think of cheer, right? I'm encouraging you, I'm affirming you in whatever it is that you're doing. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not good, but that's typically what we think of when we talk about encouragement, and it's not necessarily what he's talking about right here. It is that, but it also includes this added component of challenge, right? It's what, it's what the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another or spur one another on to love and good deeds, he says. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day of Jesus Christ drawing near. In other words, like sometimes you need to cheer someone on and affirm them in what they're doing. But sometimes you need to have a very real conversation with them and challenge them in the direction that they may be going in. You need to spur them on, which is a word that he uses in Hebrews. It's a word that literally means to irritate or to sharply confront someone in the way that they're going. Not in an effort to shame them or condemn them or anything in or, or anything else, but in an effort to lead them to love and good deeds, he says very specifically right there. So this is kind of like what spurs do with a horse or a cowboy. I don't know if you probably do not own a pair of boots that have spurs on them. Maybe you do. Uh, maybe some of you have that here in Dallas. I personally do not. Uh, but this is what spurs do when you're riding a horse. Uh, believe it or not, horses don't naturally want to go the direction that its rider wants them to go. And so spurs are needed in order to get the horse moving in the direction it should actually go. On this past month, we were in Angel Fire, New Mexico, and I took Caleb horseback riding through the mountains, and we had this cowboy that was kind of leading the way. Caleb had a really funny horse. It was hungry the entire time, wanted to stop every second and just eat whatever was there. Wanted to go its own way. Poor Caleb's legs aren't long enough. He's not strong enough. He can't do a whole lot about it. And so like that horse kept wanting to go its own direction, wanted to do its own thing. Uh, Mine was okay. I was a little bit bigger and stronger than Caleb. Uh, The cowboy had boots with spurs on the back. And... um, I don't know if you had those boots with spurs, but anyway, he's got the boots with the spurs on the back, and like he had no problems controlling that horse and getting that horse to go the direction that he wants to go. Point of the matter, church, is like sometimes you and I need to be spurred on to do something that we may not naturally want to do, and it's exactly what Paul's talking about right here, church. Like you want to grow strong, then you have to be intentional, and you have to let people challenge you, even if it's in a direction that you may not naturally want to go. I think I've told you guys this one before, but one of the best and I'd say probably one of the most painful weekends of my life um, was a weekend when Kat and I signed up for this leadership and spiritual development. Uh, it was called a conference. It was more of a weekend and a retreat kind of a thing, uh, but it was called E-Lead. It was a leadership and spiritual discipleship um, uh, kind of a, an entire weekend. And, and to say that this thing was intense, that would not be doing it justice. I mean, the whole thing is led by uh, counselors and trained psych- Christian psychologists and for months ahead of time in preparation, they would do interviews with you on the phone. They'd be doing interviews about you with your spouse, with two of your best friends, and with your immediate family members. And so they're calling them and doing, we're talking two to three hour interviews over and over and over again. And so by the time you get to this weekend, like you show up and these counselors and trained psychologists, like they know everything about you already. 
And so I'm not kidding you. We got in there, and it was like walking into straight fire. They knew everything about you. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. It was a fantastic weekend. It was very fruitful in the end, but I'm not, it was painful. It was a painful experience to be able to sit there. Church, like it hurts when, when, when they sit there and they come and they talk to you. It's not a whole lot of fun to hear someone tell you about how, as a pastor, you're going to always struggle to pray because of how self-sufficient you naturally are. I mean, that was one of the conversations you had, we had was just how my self-sufficiency problem and how this is going to cripple your ability to pray unless you do something about it right now and you understand it right now. I mean, it's painful to sit there and to be confronted with the blind spots that you have in your marriage when you thought things were going perfectly well. And so it's incredibly painful, but church, I'm coming out of that thing. I'm wiped out in the end, and there's no denying the power and the strength that came from such a weekend as that. Church, it's exactly what Paul's talking about right here. If you want to grow strong, you have to be intentional about welcoming in and allowing people to come and to bring challenge in your life so that you don't pacify the decisions that you naturally want to go in. It's exactly what Paul's talking about right here. But take heart, like it's not just challenge. I mean, the flip side is true right here too. You also want to be strong. You have to be receptive to the cheering times that people are going to come in and they're going to cheer you on. But you also have to be that person in other people's lives. You can't just be the challenger all the time. Sometimes you have to be the cheerer. And so one of the things that I was most encouraged about here around the church this past week I'll just tell you, like Don Moody organized a group of people that would intentionally reach out to our teachers and our administrators here in the church. I mean, we know, we've heard. We've listened. We know how painful it's been to uh, try to prepare for a school year such as this when there's so many different variables on the line. Parents are all upset. Schedules are changing left and right. Sometimes they're not even there yet. Like we know how difficult this is. And then Don organized a group of staff members and lay people to come and to just love on all of our teachers and administrators. They created these, these signs over here and they put them in their teachers in, in, in their front yards. They gave them gift cards. They gave them cards of love and affirmation simply to come around them and encourage them and let them know you are seen you are loved. The burdens that you are carrying in the season, we are here with you. We want to carry them with you. And I know it feels like no one sees what you're doing, but we see what you're doing and you are loved. Church, we need that. We need people to be intentional. They're going to speak words of life into you so that you can be strong. You can grow strong in this season when it feels like everything is zapping your strength and you have nothing to hold on to right there. We need that kind of thing. And it wasn't just teachers and administrators. Like weeks before that, they did the exact same thing with first responders, going to the Bainham group and organized a group, and they went out to, to first responders at the fire department and the police department doing the same thing. We see you. We know that you're overlooked. We know that you're not as valued as, you, as much as you should be valued. And we see you and we love you. And we got the letters from those people back saying we needed that. We always need that encouragement. Church, like I remember this. I'm, I'm thinking of Brad Cutrell and his friendship and his love for me recently willing to come over to my house in different moments of sadness and whatever it may be, and simply willing to sit and breathing life into me through words of encouragement. But church, we need that. We need people and a community around us that's going to be intentional to come in and to bring encouragement in times of need, to bring that cheer, to bring that challenge, if that may be the season that you're in, to speak words of life that you and I may grow strong. Church, you cannot have one without the other. To be all challenged without cheer would crush people. And to be all cheer without challenge would keep us pacified wherever we are. Church, if you want to be strong, then you and I have got to intentionally engage in life-giving community. And so Paul says it right here. He says, this is why I'm coming to you. This is why I'm coming to you, to, in order to strengthen you and to be mutually encouraged 
by each other's faith. And church, quite honestly, like that is my hope and my prayer for us today, that you and I would never be content with passive familiarity around our community here at Dallas Bible Church, and that if you happen to be a person who's chiming in online today, maybe you are not connected in a life-giving community, that you would reach out to us today. You can go to dallasbible.org backslash connect, uh, backslash next steps, you can reach out to Zane Parsley at zane at dallasbible.org. You can reach out to us and let us know you would love to be connected in a life-giving community for the very first time. But if that's you, you've never been connected, you don't have this kind of community around you, we would love to walk with you and help you get connected today. But for the rest of us, the 80% of the church body that already is connected in some sort of a, a life group or a men's group or a women's group, my hope and my prayer for us is that you and I would honestly consider what it may look like to cheer and or challenge one another on, even during COVID, even if it's on one more Zoom call that you're exhausted by and you can't be with each other, you can't eat together, you can't shake hands or hug or whatever that, that, that may be, even during COVID and even during distance, that you would honestly consider what it may be like for you to cheer and or challenge one another on, that we may be strong and that we may be strong together all for the praise and for the glory of his name. And so I want to invite you to bow with me right now, but Father, we do praise you, God, and we do thank you. Lord, that you don't leave us alone. God, you don't just give us salvation and then say, hey, good luck in infancy. Father, you give us your Holy Spirit. You give us your word. You give us life-giving community by which we can live with intentionality in them, God, and we can grow up into maturity and we can be strong. And so, Father, I want to pray for the person who is begging for your strength today. Maybe it's that teacher. Maybe it's the parent. Maybe it's the provider in a home. Maybe it's provider for yourself and you're desperate for things. God, I pray in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through this life-giving community that we live in, God, would you bring that person's strength today? Father, I pray for the person who's feeling lonely and isolated today. Maybe they're in a home Maybe they're more vulnerable and they've not been able to have physical interaction with anybody today and they were desperate for personal touch. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reach out to them today, that again, life-giving community would rise up around them, that they would reach out with encouragement, with cheer, not so much with challenge, but with cheer right now. God, would you love on them today? Would you reach out to them? Would you strengthen that person today? Whoever it may be, God, I want to pray for a blessing of strength to come over that person today all for the praise and for the glory of your name. Church, wherever you may be, I want you to just ask this question and say, Father, um, would you bring to mind maybe one person in my immediate circles around me that I do life in? Would you bring to mind one person who needs cheer or who needs challenge today? And then, Father, would you give me the strength to say yes, to walk in new obedience today, to go cheer and or challenge that person on again today, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Father, we love you, God. We give you this day. It's all for your praise that we do it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.